And I invite you to turn to our opening text as they hand out the papers. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. The sermon entitled, can you turn out a little bit more, please? Luke chapter 22, verse 42. The sermon entitled this morning is, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you go, I will go. We've been studying about relationships, God's way, and we've been going through this journey together. There's 12 of them. We've been, um, we're, this is number eight, I believe. So we have four left after this. And we're studying to see God's way and how to have relationships and how to make sure that we're going to be happy the rest of our, our lives, not only on this earth, but for eternity. And so that's what we're studying this morning. Relationships, God's way. Submit. How do you feel when you hear that word submit? Submission. How do you feel when you hear that word submission? Some people, when they hear that word submit, they cringe at the very thought, the word, or hearing of that word. But in God's universe, in order for everything to run smoothly as a world ordered machine, could you turn it down a little bit more, please? In God's universe, not everything to run smooth as a well-oiled machine. People and beings must submit to the higher beings above them. It must happen. They must submit to those who are higher in command. You see, Satan's problem, the whole problem with the universe, the whole war, the great controversy is that Satan did not want to submit to God. That's the whole great controversy. You sum it up in one word. The whole problem with this whole sin problem is that Satan did not want to submit himself to God at all. He had a problem. His nature, his being, something within him did not want to submit at all. So it's a struggle or wrestling inside of him. He did not want to submit. That's the whole problem with the universe of, and the happiness universe of sin. Is it no wonder that our sinful natures do not like to submit also? It was Satan's problem, beloved. It is definitely my problem. It is definitely your problem this morning that we don't like to submit. And if there ever was a time where humanity does not like to submit, in other words, you hear a lot, don't tell me what to do, right? That attitude. You had that within you. I have it within me, right? Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. If there ever time that people ever said that so many times, it is today. Is that not true? No one likes to submit. And every time that no one likes to submit is especially today, this morning. As you study the Word of God, let us submit to the Word. Amen? Amen. That it may transform our lives and transform our families and transform our relationships that we may be, have healthy, prosperous, joyful relationships is my prayer. Let us pray. Father, we humbly submit to you at this time. May you draw our minds and thoughts away from the cares of this world and businesses and things that 
need to be done, but be drawn heavenward on heavenly things, on good things, on good thoughts. Draw us to heaven is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, did Jesus struggle with submitting to his Father? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. The Bible says, saying, Father, this is the third time he's saying this, Father, if you will, if thou be willing, remove this cup. We learned last night especially that this cup was a cup of what? Sin. From me. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want to do, but thine be what? Done. See, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was human flesh, sinful flesh like you and me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled, he wrestled with his father because his father asked him to do a certain thing. The father was laying the sins of the world upon him. He was saying, take the cup, drink it, son. He's asking him to drink the cup. But he said, Father, if it be possible, I don't want to drink the cup. Take the cup away from me. I do not want to submit. I don't want to at this time. My flesh, take this cup away from me. And he struggled and he said, But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine will be done. His feelings were telling him, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It was the same sinful flesh that you and I have. He was wrestling. He was struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not want to do it. And the second time it happened, take this cup, drink it. Jesus said, I don't want to drink it, but nevertheless, Father. It wasn't until the third time he finally submitted and said, Father, I don't want to do it. I don't want to drink this cup, Father. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he drank the cup. Aren't you glad that Jesus drank the cup this morning? Amen? Aren't you glad that he didn't just go by his feelings and say, no, I don't want to drink the cup and stop there? He said, no, I don't want to drink the cup. But nevertheless, know that very word, but, negates everything that was said before. I don't want to drink the cup, Father, but, negating everything before, not my will, Not how I feel, but your will be done. He submitted to his father. He listened to his father, even though he did not want to do. Now, what must we do, every single one of us here, what must we do before we're able to resist the devil? Turn to James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7, right after Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. What must we do before we're able to resist the devil that he's going to flee from us? There's something we must do first. The Bible says, James chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, and that very first word, it says, what? What does it say? Submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to who? To God. Resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. In order, for to, in order to gain the power to resist the devil, we must first submit to God. Amen? You see, beloved, we have no power, we have no strength within ourselves to resist the devil in our own human flesh. 
None of us can resist the devil. If we were to face the devil head on, face to face, we would all lose because none of us is no match for the devil. I'm no match for the devil. I am the first one to admit that. I can never go and confront him face to face without Jesus by my side. Amen? And beloved, you are no match for the devil. You need the Lord. You must submit. Though it goes against your human flesh and your sinful natures and what you want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Not even God. I'm not going to listen to the God. I'm not going to listen to the word of God. I'm not going to listen to Jesus. But the Bible says you are no match for the devil. You need to submit yourself, therefore, to God. And the devil will flee, beloved. He will flee. Submit. Let's bring it home a little bit more. Who else is supposed to submit? First Peter chapter five verse five. Uh, book the next book down. First Peter chapter five verse five. Who else? The Bible says. Likewise, you what? Younger. What's the next word? Submit. Yourselves unto the what? Elder. The younger people are supposed to submit themselves to the older people. This is where we get the principle where we ought to respect the elderly, respect the older people for their wisdom, and submit to them as long as they don't contradict the Word of God, right? See, the culture in Hawaii has always traditionally followed this principle. The Asian culture, the Polynesian cultures have always been a place here in Hawaii where we learn to submit to the older people, respect and honor and listen to the older people. Unfortunately, you hardly see that anymore. It's sad to see a younger generation arising today who have no respect for the older people. Is that not true, beloved? It's sad to see younger people dis- not only disrespect the older and the elderly people, but actually mistreat the elderly, their parents, and their grandparents. Today, even here, are people, elderly people, who get abused by their own family. They're actually calling it elder abuse. Can you, can you close that door? Thank you. Wait. <laughs> but we're told in the Bible that we are to respect, listen to, and submit to those who are elderly. It's a sad thing to see that no longer today, not only were people not even open the doors for the elderly, but they talk back to them, they hit them, abuse them, they get frustrated with their grandparents after taking care of them, elderly care, they abuse them, not only physically, but mental abuse, verbal abuse that's going on. It's a great thing that's happening right now recently, even in Hawaii, where our so-called our culture has very protected this around our culture in this heads of respecting the elderly. But you see a lot of young people talking back to their parents, not listening to the elderly, 
and doing what they want to do. Beloved, the Word of God says that we need to submit. And there's ever a time that we need to follow the Word of God in history, I believe it is now, beloved. Amen? You know, many people say that it's easy to submit to God, but it's very hard to submit to man. You ever heard of that? They say, well, just, just send me to a mountainside by myself, and all I need is my Bible and have a good relationship with God, and that's all I need. Just send me away, and I'm going to be... It's the people that get me upset. It's not God. God never gets me upset. If I have a good relationship with God, everything will go fine, and I can just be in a mountain like the monks or the monasteries or whatever it may be, and I'll be okay. But you cannot separate the two. Because Jesus himself said, who is God, said himself, he said, what you do unto the least of these people, you do unto who? Me. So what you do to other people really reflects your relationship with God, beloved. Amen? Amen. You cannot separate the two. The Ten Commandments, the first four is based on your relationship with who? God. But you cannot get out the last six who's based upon your submission to who? Man. Respecting and not taking things from other people, killing people. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, I'm going to be on a mountaintop, I'll be a great Christian. Beloved, your great Christianity is reflected by how you treat the person who is Christ himself. What you did unto the least is what you did unto me. So we ought to submit. We submit ourselves to God. Jesus submitted to his Father. We submit ourselves to, to God. We, younger ones, myself, we submit ourselves to the, the elderly, the older people. Then also in another text it says that we are also to submit to every ordinance of God, whether it be to kings or to governors, those who govern over us. We are to submit. So when a policeman comes and is being giving you an attitude and tells you to do something, beloved, if it doesn't contradict the word of God, we are to submit to what they ask us to do. Amen? Amen. Submit. And then, let's bring home a little bit closer. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, a few books before. 13, verse 17. What must we do unto the church leaders who have a watch for our souls? The leaders within the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The Bible says, what is that first word? Obey. This is a good text. Obey them that have the, what? Rule over you. And what's the next word? Submit yourselves, for they watch for your, what? Souls, spiritually, souls. You must submit to the religious leaders in a church who have rule over you, as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God. If it, doesn't, if it contradicts the word of God, forget it. This is one of my favorite texts, by the way. <laughs> as they must have give account. It says, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with what? Grief, for that is unprofitable for you, the Bible says. You see, God has appointed leaders to be the overseers of his flock. Every leader, not only pastors, elders, whatever it may be, those in responsibility, church board leaders, and God calls upon his sheep to submit to the ones he has appointed over them. While these leaders obey 
the master. You see, the leaders, myself included, we must give strict account of our leadership on Judgment Day. Strict account of what we do. We will be held accountable for every misuse of power, every misuse of authority, every misuse of position, everything that we should have done as a leader that we did not do. We will be held much more accountable in a day of judgment than the members of the church. So in our responsibility, the Word of God says as members, make it light work. Make it that the leaders will be serving the Lord and as they work together as a group, that it will be a joy for them and not a burden and a grief for the leaders. Amen? A joy. And it says, for your benefit, for you gain no advantage by making it difficult for your appointed leaders. For your whining and stubbornness does not benefit you, but only ends up hindering you and the whole church, right? Amen? Think of it as a father has 20 kids. And they want to throw a big luau, a big party. And guests are coming in, and they're flying in, and they want to make sure this luau is going well, kind of like an agape feast. And then the father says to the the son, children one by one, and he goes, son, Michael, you know what? The guests are coming in, and they're going to need rides. Son, can you go and make sure that you organize all the airport trips and travel back, and make sure everyone's here on time, and they, have a, they go back to the airport, and everyone's okay? He goes, sure, Dad, no problem. Michelle, we're going to need such a lot of desserts. You know, Auntie, Auntie Nono, she likes a lot of her sweets, right? So you got to make sure there's a lot of desserts for her. So you're going to be charged of the dessert section. Is that okay, Michelle? Sure, no problem. Son, we know they're going to be, um, we're going to make sure that there's enough chairs and tables. Can you set up the chairs and tables, Jonathan? Sure, Dad, no problem. Martha, there's going to be a lot of things that we've done. Can you make sure that you're in charge of decorations? Make sure it looks really nice, very comfortable for all the guests. Sure, Dad, no problem. And as everyone pulls together as a family, and everyone fulfills the responsibility, not only says I'm going to do it, but actually does it, then this family will be a mighty force for blessing to many people. Amen? And beloved, the church is a church family. And everyone pulls together, and everyone asks, hey, can you do this? Sure, no problem. Not only say no, sure, no problem, like the, the parable, the boy says, um, yes, I'll go, but he never went, Right? but actually say yes and do it. When everyone pulls together, it becomes a strong, cohesive ohana, family, which is strong and nothing can separate a strong family like that. And when people see a family working together in unity and in harmony and things getting done and organized and structured and orderly and disciplined, that is a powerful influence for the gospel. Amen? And that's what we need. We need a church family that works together, that's humble and say, Lord, yes, I know people ask you, especially the leaders, could you please do this? The flesh says no, right? But not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus felt the same way as you did. So everyone submits. We submit, everyone here submits to God. The younger submit to the elderly. 
all of us here submit to the ordinances of the government. The church members submit to the appointed leadership by God. And then, who else is supposed to submit? Ephesians chapter 5. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, this is the whole point of the sermon. I'm building, I'm building to that point. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Who else is supposed to submit? The Bible says, 22 to 24. The Bible said 22. Wives, what is the next word? Women? Let me hear you say it. Wives, what? Amen. Submit yourselves unto your own what? Husbands. And then it says, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how many things? In all things, in everything. So the Bible says in 22, wives are to submit themselves, whether they like it or not, but submit themselves unto their own husband. This says, as unto the Lord. In other words, if it doesn't contradict the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, are you to follow it? So when the Bible says that Sabbath is a holy convocation and it's supposed to be a holy gathering and worship service, you come to church on the Sabbath, like Jesus went to church every, as his custom was every Sabbath. But then your husband says, no, you stay home. What are you to do? Say the phone rings. Ring, it's ringing, right? The phone rings. And you pick up the phone. And they say, can I speak to your husband? And your husband says, tell him I'm not home. <laughs> is that telling the truth? <laughs> so what is it supposed to do? Do something, but you can't tell him that he's not home, right? Amen? <laughs> Take a message. Are you following me? So submit, yes. To break God's word, the law? No. Just as Christ is the head of the church, the Bible says here, just as Christ is the head of the church, so is the woman supposed to submit to the husband. But what was the problem back in the days of the Jewish church? Turn to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. What was the problem back in the days of the Jewish church? Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah's writing, he says here, As for my people, my people, God said, children are their oppressors. The children were rebellious to the parents back then. And women, what? Rule over them. All my people, Oh, my people, they which lead thee cause you to err and destroy the way of thy paths. So the problem with the Jewish church back then was it came to a point where the children were rebellious in that society and the women were ruling over the men. 
Today has not history repeated itself, beloved. Oh, my people, is it not the children who are oppressing and disobedient to their parents today? Do you not see that today? Am I the only one here that sees the disobedience that's being done to parents today? Do we blind our eyes so much and get so accustomed to seeing it so much that we just think it's normal today? Is that what we're thinking already? Or do you actually, that's my question I ask, do people actually see it or do they just blind themselves to it? Am I the only one that sees the disobedience to parents today? I don't know. The women were ruling over their husbands. In other words, they directed and controlled their husband. Oh my people, is not the women today are the ones that are ruling over their husbands and running the homes? You know, I remember before when I was searching and I didn't know what, what it was to be a man because I didn't study my Bible. And so what I did was I started just watching what everyone else did. We learned from watching TV and the movies. And the male role models who were popular and famous from Hollywood, they were my role models of what a man should be like. And as I watched these programs, I learned that the man was more the submissive man. Oh, yeah, whatever you want to do, honey, right? And the children were disobedient to the parents and the wife ran the home. Are we not there again, beloved, in history once again? Is it not the women today are now ruling over the husbands and running the homes, is my question. Is it not the women, not only in practical affairs at the home, but is it also the women who have become the spiritual leaders in the home and also within the churches today? Is it no wonder that in America the majority of people that go to church are women? No exception in this church. But the majority of people that go to church are women. The more spiritual ones are normally also the women in the home. Is it no wonder that you see the women, they're leading out even in the home. Oh honey, it's time to pray. Let's pray for the food. They're the ones that are initiating and leading out. Hey, let's pray. They're the ones that say, let's have family worship. Honey, let's have family worship. Then they say, let's pray. Let's have family worship. And they lead out in the worship service. Is it no wonder, beloved? that we're falling in the same pattern as the Jewish church. God's remnant church in the last days is falling back to the same things that happened to the Jewish church before Jesus came. And it's killing our homes and our churches. Where are the men today? The husbands have so long delegated and pass on their responsibilities to women, that it's come to a point in time that the women, believe this or not, actually do a better job at leading out than most men today. Is that not true? They're the organizers. They get their, they're organized. They get things done. They know how to make things, make schedules. They do it all. All because it's the men who want to shirk their responsibilities and give it to the women to do what they should have done. You know, men, and then they want to, men want to complain that they're taking over the role of their home and, and the churches. I never forget a story of a woman who's a head elder on Oahu. And what happened was, her husband was actually the elder. 
And he started delegating and giving all, all his responsibility to his wife to do his schedules and programs and all that and organize things. That's his responsibility, had delegating to her. It came a point in time in history, after years and years and years, after a while, she had gotten so good at it that when he asked her to be elder, they said, yeah, I can do it because I did it all for my husband all these years, so I know exactly what to do. Made her an elder. She was so good at it because all the husbands are shirking responsibilities today that they finally made her head elder. And then we complain when we do We did it to ourselves, beloved. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Men, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Women like to be nurturing. And so they like to please their husbands. But the problem is that they're willing to do everything for the husband that the husband should be doing, thus enabling them to be weak. It's a wake-up call, but then there's good news. Amen? Let's look at the gospel in relationships right now. Turn me to Romans 3.11. We're going to look through several texts in uh, rapid fire. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Acts, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. There's a gospel in this, and we're going to see that. My question is, can we seek after God? <laughs> Trick questions, huh? Trick questions. Like I said, the Bible says here in verse 11, there is none that understands, there is none that what? Seeks after what? God. There is no one that seeks after God. It is only God that seeks after us. Yes, we seek after God, but what the verse is talking here, because it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? You see, you ought to seek God. But what it's saying is here that no one initiates and seeks God first, and then God responds to us seeking by seeking us. What it's saying is that no one seeks after God in the sense that no one initiates that search. We are only seeking God as a response to God first seeking us. Amen? God does initiating. We respond to God. And I praise God for that because if I was the first one to initiate seeking after God, I would never find God. I was in college and God was not even on my mind. I didn't even, times when I, didn't, I wouldn't even think there was even a God existed. But I thank God somehow He initiated such. He kept calling me and calling me that I finally faintly heard His calling. He initiated that call and I just responded. I followed his lead. He led first and I just followed. God initiates, we respond. Look at the next text, John 6, 40, 44. John chapter 6, verse 44. Can we come to God without being drawn first? John 6, verse 44. The Bible says here, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me, what? Draw him. Can anyone can just go to God according to this text? No. We can only go to God unless God first draws us. In other words, God draws us first. He leads, we follow. He initiates, we just respond. He draws us, He seeks us, then we seek Him. He draws us first, then we go draw toward Him. 
Do you see that? God initiates and we respond. How do we love God? Turn to 1 John 4, 19, right before Revelation. 1 John 4, verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. The Bible says, We love Him. We love God because He, what? Second, first loved us. We love him because he loves us first. In other words, God initiates, we respond. Love awakens love, beloved. God's love to us first awakens a kindling response within me to love him back. He seeks us first. We seek him in response. He draws us first, and then we're drawn to him in response. He loves us first, and then we love him back in response, beloved. You see the order? That's the gospel. What did we do before we believe? What did God do before we believe? Turn to John 3.16. You know this text, John 3, verse 16. What did God do before we believe? John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting what? Life. Did we believe first and then God loved us, according to this text? What happened? He loved us first. He gave his son to die for us next. Before we even believe, beloved. Isn't that precious? In other words, God loves us. Whether we believed or not, he loved us first. Amen? He loved us first. We responded to his love. Do you see that God initiates, we respond. God leads, we follow. God initiates first by loving us and dying for us while we yet an enemy of God, a sinner. Look at another text. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 10. When did Christ love us? Romans chapter 5, after Acts. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 10. When did Christ love us? The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ loved us and died for us before we did anything. While we were yet without strength, ungodly, still sinners, and enemies of God, God initiated his love for us by dying for us first. In other words, beloved, God initiated and we responded. There's none of us here today that's here because you're good within yourself and you're just here. God initiated his love toward you that drew you, that you are here this morning. I praise God for that. Amen? That's his love. That's his mercy. What happens when Christ is lifted up on the cross? Turn to John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. The Bible says, this is Jesus talking. 
And Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will what? Draw all men unto me. In other words, Jesus must be lifted up. And where was he lifted up? On the cross of Calvary. So Jesus must be lifted up first. He initiates the cross, the love first, and the, the cross, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. From the beginning, it was in his plan of salvation. He's lifted up first, he initiates, and by initiating that love shown and lifted up high so everyone can see, it initiates, it draws all of us to Jesus Christ. Amen? But no one can be drawn to God unless the cross is first lifted up. Amen? And on the cross of Calvary is revealed the great unmerciful, the great merciful love, unconditional love of God revealed on the cross of Calvary. And when you see the love of God on the cross of Calvary lifted up for all to see, you will be drawn to God. Amen? You will be drawn to God. You cannot help it but be drawn. And that's why every sermon... Every Sabbath school class, every evangelistic meeting, every discipleship class, whatever is taught, every Bible study must be presented with the cross of Calvary and the love of God. Amen? It has to be. If you, do not, if you just have doctrines without the love of God and the cross of Calvary, it does not have the power to draw people to God. Amen? It doesn't. There's no power there. The power is in the cross of Calvary. Amen? The power is in the love of God. That's the only thing that can draw people to Christ. Now, let's understand the invisible. I brought this out in the class, the discipleship series. But let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. How is the eternal power of God and the Godhead clearly understood? Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And ask the question, I asked, can you physically see things that are invisible? Can you physically see things that are invisible? Physically? No, you cannot. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, let's see the Bible. For the invisible things of him, from the creation of the world, things that you cannot see that's invisible, are clearly seen, or you can see, being understood or seen by the things that are what? Made. And we learn things are made as God's nature, creation, even, and in what things especially? Even his eternal, eternal power, or his redemptive power, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and the Bible says, and what? Godhead. So that they are without excuse. So things we cannot see, we can clearly see, the Bible says, yeah, we, things we cannot see, we can clearly see by things that God created, nature, and even humanity, by seeing humans, we can get a small picture of how the Godhead is supposed to be. Let's look at this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's look at this relationship. That's why it says here, going on this text in Romans 1.20, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, But I would have you know that the head of, the head of every man is who? So Christ is the head of every person. And the head of the woman is the what? Man. So man is the head of the woman. And the head of Christ is who? God. So you have to envision this. We can better understand 
the relationship between God the Father and Christ by seeing how the church relationship with Jesus, in the same way how we see man's relationship with a woman. Hey, follow me. So we're going to get more into this. Now let's look at Jesus. How did Jesus live his life? John 5, verse 19. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19. How did Jesus live his life? The Bible says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son, Jesus, can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the what? Father do. For what things soever he doeth, whatever the Father does, these also does the what? Son likewise. In other words, Jesus said he watched the Father's leading. And he followed it. He watched the Father initiate things and he responded to it. In the same way, we as a church ought to follow the lead of Jesus, right? He's the head. As Jesus followed the lead of his Father, we as a church, as individual members, ought to follow the lead of Jesus Christ. Where he leads, I follow, right? Where he initiates, I respond. You watch where God moves. If God's moving there, that's where I want to be. You follow in God's lead. In the same way, women ought to follow the lead of their husbands. Do you see that? To respond to initiation of their husbands. And I know sometimes husbands don't do the leading. And I heard this question asked many times, many times. What do I do in a situation where my husband doesn't lead and I'm the one that always leads? Should I just not do anything at all and nothing gets done? Well, think about it. If there's a, if there's a relationship and... Um, a girl gets pregnant, she has a, a child, and a boyfriend leaves and takes off, and she's by herself. Even though it's not her primary role, it would be foolish not to raise that child in the admonition of the Lord, right? It would be foolish to say, well, I don't have a man to lead a home, therefore I'm not going to have family worship. Well, there's no man in the home, therefore I'm not going to have um, prayer before we eat. In the same way, it would be foolish to have a home where the husband's not leading to say, I'm not going to do anything and you and your whole family end up losing out. Amen? So men, take the lead and lead out. Amen? Take the lead and lead out. And women, let your husbands lead out. Amen? Some of you women are so used to leading out that you don't know how to let go and let your men lead out. I've seen that happen also many times. And some of you are so used to leading out and because you've done it so long, and you actually have become much better at it than your husband's. But let him lead out. Amen? Amen. Be patient with him. Like a little child, nurture him. <laughs> Men will love that. <laughs> baby him. <laughs> let him take baby steps as he learns to lead out. As he tries. My question in the Godhead. Is God the Father better than Jesus? 
Are you sure? But yet Jesus submits to the Father. We have no problem saying God the Father is equal with Jesus and Jesus is equal with the Father. Though Jesus submits to the Father, but yet sometimes we have a problem with women submitting to men. Just because they have different roles, it doesn't make one person better than the other. Amen? The Godhead has different roles, yet we have no problem with that. Beloved, we have different roles as men and women, but we should have no problem with the roles God has given to us. Amen? Just as we have no problem with the Godhead. Just because of different roles, there should be no problem with equality. They just have different roles. And we need to get back to those roles. Amen? We need to get back to the roles. We've got to get back to the roles God designed. Our church will never be healthy unless we get back to the roles that God has given to us. Now my question, can you be one to God without the Word of God? Huh? Turn to me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. How come no one likes to answer my questions anymore, huh? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Can someone be warned without the word? 1 Peter chapter 3, 1. The Bible says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any husbands... Obey not the word, they also may, without the what? Word, be what? Won by the lifestyle of the wives. So my question again. Can someone be won, be won without the word? According to the word of God. Yes. A husband can be warned to be a Christian without the Word of God. If your husband is not, doesn't come to church, doesn't believe in the Word of God, or your wife doesn't believe in the Word of God, they can be warned without the Word of God being preached to them every day by you, without receiving a Bible study, they can be warned by the life that you live. Amen? You see, the problem of Christianity today is that you very, very, very rarely find Christians who live the life of a Christian. Look at your quotations right here, the pink paper, the, the dark print on the top. It says here, Inspiration says, from Avenue's home, Ellen White says, one, one, this one, one well-ordered, well-ordered, well-what? Disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than how much? All the sermons that can be what? preach. How well ordered and well disciplined your family has much more power than all the sermons I ever preached, beloved. How I live my life, my family life, has much more power and weight than all the words that I could ever say. On the bottom, the greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world out there is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. P. 
People can be one without the Word of God. When they see the Gospel within you and me, they will be one to Jesus Christ. How is that? The family is a powerful force for Christianity in the home, in the church, and in the community. When people see how well-ordered and well-disciplined your family is, they don't, you don't have to say a word to people. And you have already preached to them a thousand sermons. Amen? You see, the relationship between husband and wife reveals to us the relationship between us and God. Let me explain. The foundation for every false religion is that you have to do something first before God loves for that before that God loves you, before the gods love you. You have to do something first, penance, whatever it is. You have to do something first before works. You have to do works before you are saved. That's the foundation of all false religions. Desire of ages. Think about it. When you go to like, um, when you go to the crater, you see all these offerings. They call ho'okupus. Offerings on tea leaf and rocks and all that and food and fruits. You see that? What they're doing is they're offering to the god, goddess um, Pele. And what it is, is an offering as a way to appease the gods, to make them happy that they will be kind and, and, and prosperous and generous to you. Are you following me? You have to initiate by giving an offering first. You initiate, the gods respond by how you initiate things to them. If you don't please the gods, they're not going to be happy. Every false religion, if you have to do works or penance or whatever, is righteousness by works. But God is righteousness by faith. Righteousness given to you by faith, by believing. God initiates first, you respond. That's righteousness by faith. If people see, this is the correlation, the Godhead, things that are made, humanity. If people see a husband leading out and a wife responding, a husband initiating and a wife responding or following, then they get a picture of the Godhead and they get a picture of our relationship with God. If the husband leads out and initiates and the woman responds and follows, then it must be in their mind, it must be that Christ initiates and leads out and we follow his initiation, respond and follow his leading. Amen? And the gospel is preached by relationships. But... When people see in a church and other areas, when they see the woman leading out and the man following, the woman initiating and the man responding, it gets reversed and they think, wow, this is in reverse order, the woman's leading out? Then it must be that we must lead out and God's going to follow. I must initiate something first and God responds to me. And righteousness by works kicks in and people think, and a false doctrine of righteousness by works kicks in because of the relationships being shown within people who are claiming to follow the word of God. People will believe in either righteousness by faith or righteousness by works by how your family is ordered. Now let's look at the gospel and relationships. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Here's the gospel for men. 
Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the what? Church and gave himself for it. Husbands are to love the wives as Christ loved the church. Now, what did Christ do for his church? He died. Christ initiated by showing great love to the church. And then, therefore, the church responds and loves him back. How would you feel? I know there's people out here who, who actually out there who believe this. But what did God say to you? You better submit to me or else. People actually believe this theology. How would you feel? Would you willingly and lovingly submit? See, men, the problem is that the Bible says that we must, we must be the husband to the wife as Christ is to us. We must not quote the Bible and say, you must submit. I know one young man that I used to hang out with before, and he used to always say that. He, his, his favorite text was this text. Women submit to men. He always say that. That's the only sermon he preached every single week. That's the only text he knew in the Bible. Women, you need to submit to men. It was all, we were all single. And I used to laugh and hear it and think about it. And, and the women didn't say anything. They just, get, they just walk away and they laugh it off. But funny thing is that when he finally got a relationship, he was just like a puppy dog following her all over wherever she went. <laughs> He's the worst one. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. For it is Christ who loves the first, and we respond by loving return. And when we love our wives, then our wives will lovingly respond to us and willingly submit to us when we love them exactly how Christ loves us. Amen? Many of us, we submit, I lovingly submit to God because He loved me first. In the same way, our wives, men, they will lovingly submit to us, beloved, when we love them with the same kind of love that Christ loves us, amen? If I love my wife unconditionally with that love, she will joyfully, willingly, happily submit to me, amen? Beloved, God wants us to succeed in relationships with Him, with our spouses and our families. And only as we see the love of God for us first, then we'll be able to respond to Him. And only as we see the love of Christ revealed on the cross of Calvary that we can be drawn to Him. And we can reveal to a dying world the beautiful, massless charms of Jesus Christ. This morning, men, will you give your life to God? Will you take the leadership role? Will you go with Him and follow Him wherever He may lead you? Men, will you first submit to God first every single day of your life? Women, will you submit to your God and will you submit to your husbands and reveal the character of Christ in your life? I want you to look, at, look down on your pink paper. Um, I'm going to read you this song. It's called Be Beside You. And women, this song is especially for you. It's about a song that a woman has wrote for the ones she loves. She's saying, Solely I will stay with you as you follow. She's talking to her husband, God's way. May my heart be an expression of God's own heart for you. Faithful, unstoppable, true. So this morning, as we contemplate righteousness by faith and not by works and relationships, may you meditate upon these thoughts as Terry sings a song, Be Beside You, this morning.